Well, my friends, the phrase how to Bible study is Googled more than 50,000 times per month in the United States alone. Unique searches. The phrase how to Bible study is YouTubed more than 500,000 times. Unique searches every month only in the United States. When we expand that, it gets even bigger. This is a question that we need to address, and we have been talking about the book. We've been going through our series, The Book, for the last number of weeks, and I've got to tell you, this might be the most practical, but the one that I'm most excited about, because I need to tell you my job description, my biblical job description is to equip you to be able to do the work of ministry. My job description is to give you the tools that you can pick up your Bible, and there's nobody else in the room, and you have a method, you have a tool to hear from God and understand what it is that he's saying to you. And this is of the utmost importance, because when we are able to interpret the word of God properly, we hear what he is saying to us. And when we interpret it improperly, well, that's where some really funny ideas and cults begin to grow. So I want to give you, practically speaking today, four terms four steps and four questions that you need every time that you read your Bible to study your Bible. So we're going to work our way through it here quickly. It's observation, interpretation, correlation, and application. <clears throat> the question that we ask in the first stage of Bible study is, what does it say? Observation, what does it say? I know that this is a topic that has uh, introduced some confusion in some lives. It's very, very simple. You take a text from the Word of God, from the book, and you simply look at the passage that you're reading, and you ask yourself the question, what does it say? You write it down. It says this, it says this, and it says this. It's very simple. You're not trying to mine some sort of hidden meaning out of it. You're not trying to interpret it at this stage in the game. You're just going to write it down. It says this this and this. Does anybody remember the difference between Bible reading and Bible study? It's a pen or a pencil or a computer. When you write notes, you go from reading to study. The second step is interpretation. Interpretation, the question we ask here is what does it mean? First you say, what does it say? And then we ask, what does it mean? You know, people ask the question, doesn't the Bible mean what it says? No, the Bible doesn't mean what it says. The Bible means what it means. Let me explain that to you. Every single one of us do this in the English language, in our daily communication. We do this all the time. We use phrases. We use expressions. We use metaphors. Let's say that I wrote a letter to somebody here in the church today, and I were to say, man, you've just been pulling my leg. That letter gets preserved for a thousand years and somebody finds it and they read the letter from Pastor Kyle to Cornerstone Church that says, you've been pulling my leg. Well, if they don't understand the language, if they don't understand the context, what do they think is happening? That you're literally pulling on my leg, but is that what it means? No, it doesn't mean what it says. It means what it means. It's an expression that means you're joking with me. You're, you're teasing me. In Spanish, they don't say you're pulling my leg. They say tomame el pelo, which means you're pulling my hair. All right, some of you I can't joke around with because you don't have any hair to pull. Some of you are offended that I just said that, so we'll just move on here. But the point is, my friends, that the Bible means what it means. And the way that we understand what it means is by looking at the context around it. Let's think, for example, of one word in the English language, pin. What do you think of when I say the word pin? 
Just say it out loud. Just nice and loud. Attack. What else? Stress. What else? A straight pin. What else? Uh, to rest. Yes. A needle. Yes. How about a rolling pin? Pin to rest. Pinterest. Some of you would think of that, wouldn't you? Yes. Uh-huh. Here's the point. The word pin in the English language has more than 60 different definitions. So we cannot look at a word in the Bible and say, it says, it means this because it says this. No. The only way that we can understand what it means is by reading the context around it. So we ask ourselves the question, what does it say? Then we ask the question, what does it mean? The third step in Bible study is called correlation. What other verses explain it? I'm going to ask myself, what else in the Bible is going to help me understand what I am reading right now? That's called correlation. We correlate verses. We compare to what else is already in the Bible. In other words, if you read something in the Bible that you don't understand, you need to find something in the Bible that does make sense in order to interpret what is hard to understand in order to explain it. You always have to use what is clear to explain what is unclear. All right? There are things that the Bible means, and there are things that the Bible definitely doesn't mean. And the way that you know what it means is by looking at what the whole Bible says. And that's what we're going to do today. The fourth step of the process of Bible study is application. That is, what am I going to do about it? What does it say? What does it mean? What other verses explain it? What am I going to do about it? These are the four questions that we ask every time we study the Bible. You know, I want to take a look and just kind of go through a case study this morning. I want to take a scripture together and go through it and apply these four questions so that I can give you the tools that you're equipped to be able to do this when you're the only one in the room. Does that sound good? So we're going to take a look at a piece of scripture that isn't particularly well known today, but it is the, from the book of Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 30. Now those verses are on your message notes. They'll also be up on the screen. You could follow along in your Bible if you have one with you as well. I want to give you a little bit of background here. So the writer of the book of Philippians is a man named Paul. Now, Paul is writing this letter to a church in the city of Philippi in Greece. That's why it's called Philippians, all right? So it's a church in Philippi, hence Philippians. He is in jail at the moment that he's writing this letter. And he has received from the church in Philippi, this is a church that he had planted many years ago, he's received from them a love offering. What does that mean? That means that in the day that Paul was in prison, the penal system did not do a very good job of taking care of the uh, prisoners, right? Not that we do an outstanding job of that today, not at all. But what I am saying is that in that day, that the, they did not take any care. And so the way that a prisoner would be cared for would be family and friends coming and bringing food and sliding it through the bars so that you can eat. And if that didn't happen, you would just starve. And they'd say, okay, let's move the body. We've got room for another person, right? And so there is a love offering coming from the church in Philippi. And Paul is essentially writing a thank you letter to this church. He's saying, I'm hoping to be out of jail to visit you soon. But at the time, I feel it's appropriate to send you a letter to express my thanks. So we can look here, Philippians 2, we're going to read it together, starting in verse 19. It says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. <clears throat> in other words, he's saying, I'm in Rome, 
and I hope to send Timothy, who is with me in Rome, to Philippi, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you, because he had heard news from them. He said, I have nobody else like him, he's referring to Timothy here, who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everybody else just looks after his own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proven himself. He proved himself as a son with his father. He served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I can see how things go with me. I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. He's saying, I hope to get back to you soon, but I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. And we're going to learn in just a moment who Epaphroditus is. He says, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, who's also your messenger because you sent him to take care of my needs. In other words, they sent this guy Epaphroditus with the offering to Rome to tell Paul how they're doing. And so he said, he's your messenger that you sent me and I'm sending him back to you. For he longs for all of you. Epaphroditus is homesick, and he's distressed because you heard that he was ill. And indeed, he was ill. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. He's saying, not only am I in jail, but Epaphroditus is my friend, and if he had died, I would have been grieving that loss of a friend. He says, therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him, Epaphroditus, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor men like him. Circle honor men like him. That's important. Because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you couldn't give me. In other words, you couldn't be here, and so you sent him, and he risked his life in order to get from Greece to Rome. He says, you need to welcome him with joy and honor men like him. Now, you may have heard this passage, you may have read this passage and thought to yourself, this doesn't sound very deep. This really does just sound like personal greetings. It really does just sound like a no. It doesn't sound like there's some sort of deep doctrinal truth in here or some meaty passage of scripture. It doesn't sound like there's something that's there to encourage me. It sounds like this might be one of those scriptures that some of us would skip over or scan through quickly in order to get to the good stuff, right? But if we were to do that, we would be wrong because we would have skipped the observation and the uh, interpretation and the correlation and the application of the Bible study, all right? So I want to show you a couple verses. We've talked about this in the last number of weeks. I'm just going to bring it up quickly. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All scripture, not part of it, all of it, that means even the stuff that just sounds like a personal greeting, is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives, it straightens us out, and it teaches us how to do what is right. So even this passage where Paul is just saying, I'm sending these guys back to you. Thank you for the offering. I hope to see you soon. This is useful for teaching us what is right and for teaching and encouraging our lives. Let's take a look at another verse. Romans 15 verse 4 says, For everything, not some things, but everything in the Bible was written to teach us, even this part, that through the endurance and encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. So this passage that we've read together this morning is for our encouragement and our hope. Now you might be thinking to yourself, I did not receive any encouragement 
And I did not receive any hope from that passage of scripture. Well, that's because we haven't studied it yet. We've just read it. So what we're going to do is take a look at what I believe is a powerful passage, and we're going to go through it today and do our four steps of observation, interpretation, uh, correlation, and application, and see what God might be saying to us in what some might classify as an obscure passage of Scripture. All right, so the first step is observation. Very simply, what do we see? You know, I'm going to put three things down on our sheet there. They're on your notes. The first one... I observe that Paul intends to send two men to Philippi. In verse 19 and 25, he says he's going to send Timothy, and then he says he's going to send Epaphroditus. He's going to send them both to Philippi. All right? The second thing that we see is that Paul endorses these men as role models. He says, in fact, they are role models who deserve honor. He endorsed Paul, uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus as men who deserve honor honor. In verse 29, he says, welcome him and honor men like him. So he's saying, whatever these guys are doing, it is unusual. You need to take note of that and you need to honor men like them. So notice in those scriptures that in both of them, it says like him. Circle that phrase. He says, I have nobody else like him, Timothy. And he says, honor men like him, Epaphroditus. When the Bible repeats itself, it's like God is trying to highlight something for you to notice and to take out of the scripture. He's speaking to you right now. So this leads us to our third question. What are these guys like? Right? If we are to honor men like them, what are they like? Why are they worthy of honor? Why do they deserve to be praised? What are they doing that makes them so special? So we're going to ask that question. What is listed in the scripture here? Well, we find five things, all right? They're going to be up on the screen. He takes a genuine interest in you. He has proved himself. He's my brother, my fellow worker, and my fellow soldier. We need to figure out what that means, right? He says he longs for all of you, and he is distressed, talking about Epaphroditus. And he said he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life. That's observation. That's all it is. We've noticed the three things. He's sending two men. They're worthy of honor. And here are the reasons that they're worthy of honor, right? So the next step that we're going to do is say, what does it mean? We're going to interpret that scripture. What does it mean? Now, I believe that this is a powerful passage of scripture because it gives us five marks of a godly man and a godly woman. You know, I don't believe that it would be wrong to extend that honor men like him to honor women like these individuals as well. That when we have those godly characteristics, he's saying that these are the characteristics that are present in the people that God is using. That if you want to be a man or if you want to be a woman that experiences the power of God, work on these five characteristics. So let's take a look at each of those in detail. The first one we're going to find in verse 21. It says about Timothy, I have no one else like him. Why is no one else like him? Because he takes a genuine interest in your welfare, and everybody else looks out only for their own interest. He says that's rare. He says that's unusual. When you find somebody in life who looks out for the welfare of others before themselves, instead of just themselves, that is rare. That is noteworthy. That is worthy of honor. Now, as we interpret scripture together, one of the very helpful things that you can do is you can compare the different translations to one another. 
Now, the reality is some people ask the question, isn't it possible that something is lost in translation? Absolutely, there's a possibility that something is lost in translation. If you were to read the Bible in Greek or in Hebrew, the average number of words listed in the Bible is about 11,000. Now, if you read the Bible in English, there are only, regardless of the translation that you use, there are only about 8,000 words. Right? That means that we're missing something in translation. Now, this isn't a, it doesn't discredit the Bible or that whether or not we can trust it, but everybody in this room who speaks another language understands that there's not always an adequate word, like word for word, to translate from English to French. Right? Like sometimes you need a phrase to communicate the meaning of a text. And if you're literally translating word for word, you miss out on translating what was intended by that phrase. Is that true? Stephanie told me about a, uh, a, a translation of the Bible. There is a verse in the Bible that says, uh, the flesh is weak, but the spirit is strong. All right. There is a Russian translation of the Bible, apparently, I haven't fact-checked this, but translated those words uh, quite literally. And what they said in response was instead of uh, the flesh is weak and the spirit is strong, they said the meat is bad and the wine is good. All right. If we literally translate word for word, we do lose something. Now, we have examples of these, of course, right? We have one word for love in the English language, right? I can say, I love Jesus, and I love nachos. Both of those statements are true, but they don't mean exactly the same thing. We have one word for love, but in the Greek, it's much more specific. There are four different words for love, meaning different types of love. There's strong love and brotherly love and erotic love and unconditional love, and the Bible uses all four of those, yet in English, it's only our single word of love. So it is possible to lose something in translation. So one of the things that we should be doing is reading our text and comparing them in different translations. All right, so let's do that with our text. It says here, Timothy genuinely cares for you, while others only care about themselves. He's saying that he's worthy of honor. The Phillips translation says they're all wrapped up in their own affairs. So here we have the first characteristic of a godly man. The first characteristic of a godly woman, a godly man is caring. He thinks about others. He's not just thinking about himself. He's not self-centered. He is caring. Timothy genuinely cares about you, and that is worthy of honor. The second thing that we learn about Timothy says, Timothy has proved himself, circle that, proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. In the God's Word translation, it says, you know what kind of person Timothy proved to be. The word proven here means tested. It means verified. It means checked out. It's reliable. This guy is dependable. This guy is faithful. And one of the greatest abilities in life is dependability. Paul is saying that the number of people who are dependable and keep their word, even when it hurts them, that number of people is unusual. And so when you find it, it is worthy of honor. The second quality of a godly person is that they are consistent. A godly man and a godly woman is caring, and they are consistent. It means they don't act this way with one group of people, and then this way with another group of people, and then this way with another group of people. A godly person is consistent. He's proven reliable. The next verse tells us, I send back to you Epaphrodites, my brother, my fellow worker, and my fellow soldier. He's using three metaphors here. 
How do we know that they're metaphors? Well, number one, we know that they're not biologically related, right? So when he says his brother, that's not what he's referring to. Number two, we also know that they are not in the militia together, all right? So they're not literally fellow soldiers, yet he uses these three expressions back to back to back. They're metaphors, so we have to figure out what he means by that. He says, he's also your messenger because you sent him to take care of my needs. You sent him to bring good word of you. Each of these metaphors has something in common. And what they have in common is cooperation. A godly person is cooperative. He said, he's my brother, my fellow worker, and my fellow soldier. Why? Because the Christian life is a family. It's a fellowship, and it's a fight. Did you know that as a family in the Bible, the Bible uses the terms brother and sister to refer to other Christians at least 133 times in Scripture? For thousands of years, the church would have referred to its members as brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so. It's a family unit. The Bible tells us in Scripture that we're to treat older women as moms, older men as dads, younger men as brothers, and younger women as sisters. We are the children of God in a godly family. There's relationship here. We're not only a family, we're also a fellowship. We are fellow workers. That means that we have the same mission. We have the same task to love God, to love others, and to make disciples. We are serving together. We are fellow workers And we're fellow soldiers because we fight the same battle. We have the same enemy, Satan. And we support each other. We encourage each other. And that's one of the reasons that we want everybody in our church to be in a small group. Because a godly man is cooperative. When you see a guy or when you see a girl that says, I don't need anybody else. I can do it on my own. I'm a lone ranger. That's not a godly person. When you see somebody who says, I don't really need to be in a small group. I don't really need to go to church. I don't need anybody else. He's really proving that he doesn't know what he needs. And he's also proving that he doesn't understand. It's not just about what he needs, but it's about what the other people in the room need from him. Because we are a family. We are fellow workers. The truth is that I have gifts that you need. And you have gifts that I need. And God made it that way so that we would work together. Godly people cooperate. They're not lone rangers. Companies will pay top dollar for people who know how to cooperate, for people who know how to be on a team and not be an independent jerk who just does their own thing. Now, Paul, who's writing this, if anybody could be called a spiritual superstar, you could say that it's Paul. Yet even he knows better. He knows that he shouldn't try to do this on his own. He recognizes that we need each other. A godly man knows how to work with others, is a team player, and cooperates. He's caring. He notices other people's needs. He's consistent. You can count on him, and he's cooperative. All right? The fourth thing about a godly person, verse 26. It's talking about Epaphroditus now. It says, For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Notice the emotional content here. Notice that he was ill. Here's a church over here in Greece called the Church of Philippi that was started by Paul. And Paul is in Rome in Italy. They take up a love offering. They send it with Epaphroditus, which is incredible because he's a businessman. And so he would have had to say, 
you know, sayonara to his business colleagues and running the, any sort of profit that he was experiencing for several months because this journey is 1,300 kilometers and there's no transportation, right? He's walking along a path. There are no hotels and there are bandits and there are wild animals. And he goes. On the way, he gets sick. He gets so sick that he's about to die. And the word of that experience gets all the way back to Philippi. And the church in Philippi is worried about him. What is Epaphroditus' response to the worry from his friends in Philippi? He's worried about their worry. He's concerned about their concern. He's distressed by their distress. He's not thinking of himself. He's thinking about how his actions and his words cause grief to other people. This is the fourth characteristic of a godly person. He or she is considerate. Considerate means just not just what other people say, but how you think of their emotions. You think of how what you say and what you say and how you say it is going to affect other people. It says that he longs uh, for you because he's distressed because you heard that he was ill. He is distressed by their distress. Are you ever distressed by somebody else's distress? Are you ever worried by somebody else's worry or, or concerned that somebody else is afraid or do you respond by saying, just get over it? A godly man is cooperative. A godly man is considerate. He considers the feelings of others. Sometimes you meet somebody who says, I just say things the way they need to be said. I just say what I think. I just let the chips fall where they may. And almost like it's something they're really proud of, right? You shouldn't be proud of that. There's a word for it. It's called rude. All right? Children say what they think immediately. You're in the lineup at the grocery store, and you're standing beside, behind somebody who, who maybe is a little bit overweight, and your three-year-old son asks when they are going to have their baby. Children do not have a filter on their mouths. As adults, we should develop a filter and understand that there are things to say and times to say them, and there are things not to say and times not to say them. And if we ignore that, it's not something to be proud of. It's rude. A godly person is considerate. The fifth verse, the last one here, verse 27, talking about Epaphroditus, it says, indeed, <clears throat> he was ill. He almost died. He almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help that you didn't give me. He's saying these, these guys in Philippi, you didn't do it while I was in prison in Rome, but, but Epaphroditus, you sent him, and he did. And along the way, he nearly died. He risked his life. Circle the phrase, risked his life. He's considerate. He's caring. He's cooperative. He's trustworthy. And he is courageous. He risked his life and almost died for the work of Christ. Notice it says, risking his life to make up for the help that you couldn't give me. He's courageous not for his own benefit, but he's courageous for the benefit of others and for the kingdom of God. You know, we can meet all kinds of people today who are courageous for themselves. You'll meet people who do crazy things, who will climb a mountain or try the newest extreme sport or bet the farm on a business deal or, or risk something so that they can get some glory. But that's not the courage that Paul is talking about. We're not talking about courage that results in you getting a thrill 
We're not talking about courage that results in you getting glory or you making a whole lot of money if you bet the farm on the right deal. I'm talking about risking your life for the benefit of somebody else. That's the courage that Paul is talking about. Now, how often do we do that? You know, we risk our... Uh, We make risks in business all the time. We make risks in relationships all the time. But how often do we take risks for the benefit of somebody else? Epaphroditus took a risk with his life to make this peace journey, a 1,300-kilometer trip. It's like if I were to say today that we're taking up an offering for a church in Dryden, Ontario, and you need to walk it to them. This is the equivalent of that journey. You know what? The truth is that risking our life for the cause of Christ does look different today. In our area of the world, I think that the risks that we take for the cause of Christ are different than the risk that Epaphroditus would have taken. The reality is that when we are obedient to what God is asking us to do, we are probably not going to risk our physical life in order to accomplish that, right? It's Pretty unlikely that if God or if Holy Spirit asks you to do something here in 2019 in the greater Sudbury area, that the result of it would be that you could die. That's probably not going to happen. There are some areas in the world today where that's the case, that if you share the gospel with somebody and it's overheard by the wrong person, that you could go to prison or you could be executed. That is a reality. But here today where we are, that's probably not the case. And the reality is that in that area of the world, those areas, the gospel is thriving, by the way. So that might give us some things to consider for a few moments. But the reality is that the risks that we face, I think, have a lot more to do with our social standing and a lot more to do with our professional credibility. I remember in grade 10 in high school, I was sitting in French class, and there was a Christian club on campus that, uh, that had an announcement, just like any other club or team would have in the morning announcements, and they had a weekly challenge. And they said, we challenge you to keep your Bible in your locker for a week. And I remember sitting there thinking, that is insane. The challenge had nothing to do with reading your Bible. The challenge had nothing to do with talking about the Bible or sharing the Bible or faith or anything at all. The challenge was put a book in your locker and close the door. That's it. And I remember sitting there thinking to myself, there is no way that I am doing that. There is no way that any sane person is doing that because what's going to happen when somebody sees it when they walk by? Really? I think it would have been okay. But in the moment, I felt my social standing was at risk if I were to just keep it in the locker. You know, there are moments in my life where I've been running a business and I feel Holy Spirit say to me, pray for him. And I say, but he's a client. And Holy Spirit says, yeah, I know. And I'm like, but if he thinks that's weird, I'm going to lose a client. He's like, yeah, I know. There is a social and there is a professional risk of credibility being lost as we take our comfort and put it second to the cause of Christ. God uses courageous people who put uh, people before profit and who put courage before comfort and convenience, who put Jesus before security and who will take a risk for the kingdom of God. And Paul says that Epaphroditus is one of those individuals. And he is a godly man and you need to honor men like that. So first we say, what does our text say? The second thing we do is we say, what does it mean? 
And one of the ways we do that is by reading other versions of the same scripture together. This is the second stage where we say, what does it mean? Observation, what does it say? Interpretation, what does it mean? Saying these people are worthy of honor. They're caring, they're consistent, they're considerate, they're cooperative, and they're courageous. Let's go on to step three, correlation. Anytime we do a Bible study, we have to ask the question, if there's something we don't understand, is there anything else in the Bible that will help me understand this? Is there something else that will explain this? And so the first question that I would ask as I read this story, I would ask myself, is there anything else that I can learn about Timothy? Right? It's talking about Timothy. I should honor men like him. Okay, so I'm going to look for anything that I can learn about Timothy. And the answer is yes, there is. There are actually two books in the Bible called First and Second Timothy. So I can read those to learn more about a man that I should honor, right? Or honor men like him. And then Epaphroditus is mentioned. So I'm going to do the same thing. Man, is there somewhere else in the scripture? Yes. We find out that later on in the book of Philippians that Epaphroditus is mentioned again. So we can read that, all right? Now, maybe we want to look at some of the qualities that we've read about, right? Like, why are we honoring them? Well, because they're caring, considerate, cooperative, right? All of these things, we can say, I want to learn a little bit more about what the Bible has to say about being a caring person. Right? So I can begin to search for what else it has to say about those things. Now, maybe, maybe I have something else going on in my life, and I say, like, man, I'm in debt, and I want to get out of debt. What do I do? What does the Bible say about how to handle finances and get out of debt? I can do the same thing. Now, years ago, in order to make this happen, I would have told you that you needed one of these books. In order to do everything that we've just talked about and actually study as opposed to just read, you would have required one of these books. This is called a concordance. Mine is the Strong's Exhaustive Concordance of the Bible. And what that means is that it has a list of every single word in the Bible. And you look for the word that you're trying to find, and it has every reference where you can read that in the Bible. All right? So you could do a word study. You say caring. I look, go to letter C. I look up caring, and I can read everywhere that I'm going to find the Bible talking about caring. Right? I could do a word study on anything. I could do a word study on the word the. I don't recommend it. I don't think it's a good idea. But you could if you wanted to. Right? Here's the problem. These books are huge. They're awkward. They're expensive. They kill a lot of trees, right? Like, I do not want to recommend to you that you end up getting one of these books. Ten years ago, it was the only option. Today, good news, that's not the case anymore. There's a website that I use that is completely free that I want to share with you today. It's called BibleGateway.com. Here's the homepage for BibleGateway.com. Every single thing that we have talked about this morning, you can find it on BibleGateway.com. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to kind of practice this with our verse that we did together. And so this is the homepage. You see at the top of the screen there, the search bar. It says, enter keyword, passage, or topic. Do you see that? Maybe from the back room it might be hard, but the white bar at the top. And you're simply going to type in what you're looking for. So I'm going to type in Timothy. We type in Timothy. We click search. The next slide here. And you get all of the references to Timothy. And you scroll down, and there's even more. So you can go and you can look and... You know, Google has all of my private information and knows what I want to buy. And so you see those awesome shoes on the side of the screen. And I'm going to go do the same thing, Epaphroditus. And it says here, okay, I read about him in 2.19. Let's go back one, please. Go back one. 
Uh, Philippians 2.19, it says in 2.25, we've read both of those, but 4.18, we haven't read that yet, so I jumped down to Philippians 4.18, right? So let's talk about caring, right? So I'm going to search for the word care, all right? Well, on the top there, I know it's a small font, but it says the Bible uses the word care or a variation of the word care 248 times, and you can scroll through the whole list. Now, beside the word that says Bible, it says topical index, and it's talking about even when it doesn't use the word care, but that's the topic of discussion, you can click on topical index and learn all about caring and what the Bible has to say about caring. Absolutely. We could do that for absolutely anything in the word that we are looking to do. Man, I'm trying to find out what the Bible has to say about anxiety. I'm trying to find what the Bible has to say about uh, you know, family relationships and marriage or, or debt or depression. I can look that up in this year. What does the Bible say about depression? And I'm going to get a list of everything that I might want to read on that subject. Now, we also mentioned how we can compare translations side by side. Good news. One more thing you can do on that top search bar, you type in the verse you're trying to read. All right, so I typed in Philippians 2, 19 to 30, because that's what we looked at this morning, right? And on this list here, there is a button above each one of those that looks like two brackets with lines on them. And what it is, is a parallel study. As soon as you click that, it puts it side by side with the translation that you're already reading with a different translation. And you can select any translation that you want, and you can have as many as you want. So if you want to print it off, you can go through and you can highlight everything that says exactly the same thing. And then everything that's like maybe slightly different, well, those are the areas that we need to kind of zone in on to understand those translation moments of, you know, pulling my leg, tomame el pelo, right? That we need to understand, you know, the... the, the the wine is good, but the meat is bad, all right? Those are the spots where we can zone in and understand that. So BibleGateway.com, you can use that. We do that correlation for everything that we read and study. Finally, the last step here, number four, is application. What are you going to do about it? This is the most important thing of all, right? Our time together this morning is completely wasted if you don't do any of it. The only value that this holds is us actually practicing Bible study and seeing what God has to say to each and every one of us. So what will we do about it? Do you remember, and I really hope you do, the memory verse from last week, James 1.22? Anybody? Do what it says, James 1.22, that's right, there we go. Do not uh, merely be a listener or a hearer of the word and so deceive yourself, but do what it says. We want to do what the word of God says. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes we read a verse like the one we read today, and you're like, what do I do with that? What do I do with the poetry that I read? What do I do with the prophetic literature? What do I do with, you know, the, the census in numbers? What do I do to apply the word of God? Because it says that everything has application for my life, for encouragement and hope. What do I do? All right? Well, I'm going to give you a life hack. All right? It's very technical. Don't go to the next screen yet. You're going to need to be very focused to get it because it's tricky. Okay? You need to remember one word, space pets. Space pets. Can you remember space pets? If you remember space pets, you will know what to do with anything that you read in the Bible. All right? Space pets is simply an acronym. Let's look at it together. Here we go. The S stands for what? Let's bring it up. Is there a sin to confess? 
P, is there a promise to claim? Is there an attitude to change? Is there a command to obey? Is there an example to follow? Is there a prayer to pray? Is there an error to avoid? Is there a truth to believe? And is there something I can thank God for? If I were you, I would write down space pets on your message notes. Is, so what we're going to do is we are going to do this together for Philippians 2, verses 19 to 30. I'm going to look at this, all right? I would look at this. Is there a promise to claim? No. Is there a sin to confess? Well, maybe. If, I'm, if my attitude is different than that of Timothy and Epaphroditus, maybe. Is there an attitude to change? Yes. I need to change an uncooperative attitude. I need to change a, an attitude that is lacking courage that is filled with fear. Is there a command to obey? Yes. Honor men like these. Is there an example to follow? Yes. There are five, right? Five examples. Consistency, caring, cooperating, considerate, and courageous. By the way, you know it's from the Lord when they all start with the same letter. All right? So let's give you some examples of some applications that we might make. I told you today was very practical. It might feel a little different than it normally does here on Sunday mornings, but it's so important. We're going to walk through this. We're going to take a look at some examples of maybe how this will look in your life as you leave this place today. All right? So first it says, honor those like this. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask myself the question, do I know any men or women like this? And if I know somebody like this, I'm going to honor them. If I know somebody who's caring, considerate, courageous, cooperative, I am going to honor them. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's my dad. Maybe it's a brother or a sister. Maybe it's somebody else in the church. Or maybe it's somebody that you work with. But if there's somebody that holds some of those characteristics or all of those characteristics, we are going to honor them for it. The Bible commands us to honor godly men and women. So I'm going to figure out practically what that looks like this week. Maybe I'm going to write them a thank you note. Maybe I buy them a cup of coffee, right? But the bottom line is that we're going to thank people that are worthy of honor. That's one of the things that we're doing today. I mean, today is Pastor John's last Sunday, and we are going to honor him today because Pastor John has cared for our students for the last three years in the role of youth pastor, and he has poured his heart and his soul into that, and that is worthy of honor. And so we're going to spend some time together after our service today and have cake with him. And I want you to share your words of how he has impacted your life and the life of your students with him today and even write it down for him. There is a giant card that you can write those things down for PJ, for Sparkles, and let him know that you honor him because he is a man that is worthy of honor because he has cared. This is one of the characteristics of a godly man that we should honor. The second application this morning is I would go, which of these characteristics do I need to work on in my life? Do I need to work on being more caring or considerate or courageous for the cause of Christ or cooperative? Do I think about my own agenda or do I put other people first? Am I a lone ranger? Do I, do I need to get plugged into healthy community? And you're going to go down the list of those five characteristics that we've identified from the word of God. We're going to say, is there one that I need to work on? So let's just take 10 seconds and think that through. Is there one of those, Holy Spirit, that you would just lay on my heart, that you would just speak to me now that I need to work on?
And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to write down a statement that says what I'm going to do about it. We only believe the parts of the Bible that we actually do. And so I'm going to take a statement that is personal, that is provable, and I'm going to set a date. I believe I said one other thing there. It's on your sheet, and I don't have it. Do you have it? Somebody read that for me. Personal, provable. It's another P. Practical. Personal, practical, provable, and I'm going to set a date. Man, and you thought, it's right at the bottom on the back half of the page, and you thought that this verse didn't have anything to say to you. Why don't we pray together? Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the freedom that we get to experience when we understand what it is that you're saying to us. And we thank you, Lord God, that as we do these things in your word, that we will have greater clarity in our lives as to what it is that you're saying to us. I ask, Lord God, that even from this text that we read together today, that you would bring some names to our mind of people that we should honor. And Lord God, I pray that you would give us the, the unction to follow up and actually honor them with a note, with a cup of coffee, with a thank you, with a genuine expression of thankfulness and of honor. Father, I pray that you would highlight in our lives where the growth areas are. And we know that there are always growth areas, right? And you're not condemning us by them, but you're making us aware of them so that we have an opportunity to grow and become more like your son. And so I thank you, Lord God, that you are already speaking to us spirit to spirit and highlighting for us maybe some of those characteristics that we need to work on in our lives this week. Father God, I pray that, you, that we would be convicted to do what your word says, that we would not merely be hearers of your word and deceive yourself, but that we would do exactly what it says. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Before you go, we have a memory verse for you to remember for next week. It's going to be up on the screen here. Psalm 119.11. Is it up there? Did I miss it? Didn't do it. Oh, my goodness. Well, it's, this is like increasing the difficulty for you, okay? We've just leveled up, all right? I'm going to say it once, and then we'll do it together. Psalm 119.11. I have hidden my, your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Psalm 119.11. Can we do that again? Psalm 119.11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Where do we find that? Psalm 119.11. Oh, there we go. Well, that's a different translation right there, which is fine, isn't it? But you have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Psalm 119 verse 11. Amazing, guys. Thank you for being with us here today. I want to remind you to stay afterwards and take a moment with Pastor John to honor him because he is a godly man that is worthy of honor. There's some cake. There's an opportunity for you to write a special message for him in a giant card and just ask that you would do that this morning. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you again next Sunday morning.